why do so many people frown upon people that are gay? I do have a lot, but right now... Why is life so tough sometimes and it have so severe ups and downs? Why is it so difficult for youths to get jobs in South Africa? Some people, they ask, when will this end? Is the world doomed? I think it's very important going into prayer and asking as to who the source and the image you've created the source is. How do you know that you have found your purpose in life? That's my question. Today we wrestle with a question that's been asked forever. And in a way it's a question you want to ask for a friend. In a sense you want to say, God, if you're good, how can you allow so much suffering in this world? And if you're a person of faith, you want to ask for a friend because it sounds like no faith. And if, uh, if you're unsure about the nature of who God is, then asking this kind of question you might think is a little bit dangerous. So God, I'm asking for a friend. How, if you're good, can you allow so much suffering in the world? My daughter who teaches in London received this WhatsApp from her principal and he writes to her saying, we have twins in year three, the school they're going to, we have twins in year three whose father is trapped in Kiev and is now conscripted. They, the little year threeers, spoke to him on the phone and according to mum, they got him to promise them that he would not die in the fighting. So, so awful. At the same time, a Russian mom drops her son off at the same school, weeping, saying, please don't victimize my son, look after him, we're not for this war. What's happening in Ukraine and what has been happening around the world to a greater or lesser degree is a great deal of human suffering. The last two years have been brutal. There's been a loss of life, a loss of a way of life, a loss of income, a loss of income potential, maybe in a, even a loss of dreams of what life would look like. If you've not experienced this kind of heartache and pain, then I have no doubt that you know and love someone who has and is experiencing loss and pain and deep suffering. This suffering leads us to the age-old question. How can a good, loving and all-powerful God allow such suffering? As I ask this question, I'm so aware that this is not an academic theological question about suffering and heartache far away but very real pain very real heartache and grief in our homes in our hearts in our families and in our lives i'm so aware that this is a question far better dealt with over a cup of coffee uh, because i know uh, that that i'm speaking into a very sensitive place joseph stalin is purported to have said the death of one man is a tragedy the death of millions is a statistic. And all we see coming out of Ukraine is an attempt to put a face and a name to the suffering, lest we simply anesthetize ourselves with the statistic of so much loss and heartache. For me, my daughter knows twins who have a father who is in Kiev, who is trying to fulfill a promise to his children to stay alive, a promise he can't keep. Or he can't really make. No doubt you can put a name and a face to deep pain and maybe that name and face is yours even as I speak to you. So as we wrestle with this question again, how can a good and loving God allow suffering? I'm so aware that the question itself will bring to mind your heartache, your suffering, your pain. And I know, I want you to know that I know this is sacred ground. 
It's to be walked on gently and with care, not to be dismissed with a simple answer and a pat on the back. Some would say that a, the good, loving and all-powerful God of the Bible simply doesn't exist. In the face of terrible suffering, either God is good and loving, but He's not powerful enough to prevent the suffering. Or God is powerful, all-powerful, but He's not good or loving enough to end the evil and the suffering. God can't have it both ways. He can't be good, loving and all-powerful all at the same time in the face of very real human suffering. Years ago, I did a spiritual gifts exercise to determine my spiritual gifts, uh, uh, which is a dodgy little questionnaire, uh, far from perfect. And, 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 uh, and among the gifts in the, my basket was the gift of martyrdom. And I wondered, wow, this is a wild gift. You, you, you get to use only once, so you better use it carefully. But it simply means you feel the pain of others. And so feeling the pain of others, I've, I've asked this question many times. Oh God. And I've asked it while I'm heading towards the heartache. I've said, oh God, how if you are good and loving and powerful, why did this unspeakable thing happen to my friends, my family, to me, to the community I serve? A friend said to me once, I won't believe in a God who allows suffering. Even if he or she exists, even if this God that you speak of exists, he can't be trusted. I remember thinking at the time that not believing, not believing in a good God doesn't really help us through our suffering much either. So recognizing that I'm venturing into the holy and sacred ground of your heart and your pain, what follows is how I've worked this out and seen this work out in the lives of so many in the face of very evident and real suffering. It's less of an answer and rather a process. In fact, in the presence of pain, it's presence, not persuasion, that is helpful. I've always discovered that, that defending God in the face of pain has never helped anyone. But my presence, and, and, and through that perhaps the understanding that God is present in the warm hearts and the, of those who stand with us, is how suffering is dealt with. So let's be present with each other a little today as I just journey through a few thoughts. So the first thought, we live in a world we want. In His power, in God's power, He creates and in His love, God gives freedom. Freedom to you and to me to choose. The creation story is a story of a good God creating all we see and declaring it to be very good. It's the story of God giving humanity wide-ranging freedom to enjoy the world we live in and then a choice to live in relationship uh, under the direction, guidance and mentorship of our Creator or, of course, not to. Created in love and for love, we could choose to love or not to. We could choose to love God back and we could choose to love each other or not to. This is the nature of freedom. A good and loving God, and here's an incredible thought, a good and loving God limits His power over you and me, and we can choose. An all-powerful Creator God gives us freedom to choose. Um, 
An all-powerful God who was not loving would not free us to choose. God could end suffering, but that would not be the loving thing to do. Um, think on that. And I've thought about it. For example, I've thought about this. I can keep my children safe by locking them up in a padded cell. No one will get to them to hurt them, and they will not be able to hurt themselves. They will be safe. But this will not be the loving thing to do. To love them is to let them free. And so free, they're vulnerable. And so vulnerable, they're able to hurt themselves and they're able to hurt others. And the downside to my children's freedom is that your children are also then free. And they can hurt themselves and they can hurt my child. And mine can hurt yours. Uh, Hannah, my three-year-old, now 28-year-old, um, had a best friend at preschool, Spuddy. He was just the guy she talked about. Spuddy this, Spuddy that, Spuddy this, Spuddy that, right? Until Spuddy cut in the hot dog queue in front of her. And she bit him, man. She bit him so that the little curls in the back of her head were shaking as she was clenching her jaws. There was blood. Spuddy, her best friend, <laughs> <laughs> and my wife, interestingly, Hannah's mother, uh, she was the teacher of this class and had to explain to Spuddy's parents, by the way, when you get home, you can take his shirt off, you're going to find teeth marks. The teeth marks are my child's marks. Phone me then. I taught my girls to ride a bike. And this is genius. If you uh, have children, I took a broomstick I shoved it down the back of the saddle uh, through the frame and so I could run behind my children with this broomstick and keep the bike upright. And then, uh, well, if I pulled the broomstick out, they could fall. If I left the broomstick in, they would never learn to ride a bike. So I remember the moments. I pulled it out. I thought it was the right time and wobble, wobble, fall, cry and I was devastated. Tears dripping on the tar, uh, knees grazed. I'm, I'm joining her in weeping and, and, and I'm, I'm blowing on the burn of the, can you feel it? The burn of that graze. I wept with them. And then we did it again. <laughs> Put the broomstick in. Uh, we would uh, uh, ride along and I'd pull it out. Why would a loving and all-powerful dad pull the broomstick out? It's freedom. It's freedom. I wanted to learn how to ride a bike. So we live in the world we want. Let me put the broomstick down. God in all his power creates and in all his love he gives freedom of choice. Knowing it may break his heart and hurt us. And it did. We inflict so much pain on one another. So much harm to our world by the choices we make. Of, some, of course, let me be clear now. That some suffering is inexplicable and there is no one to blame. It's not linked to a choice we've made. But we can link, if we look at our lives, we'll be able to link some of the heartache to choices we have made. And some of the heartache to others, to things that we have done. Choice. But some suffering is not linked to a choice. And it makes no sense. A friend of mine who whose five-year-old boy is diagnosed with a rare form of cancer and as we speak is he's he's under treatment in London um, and, and there's no, there's no uh, answer to that. There's no answer to the why. 
Some tragedies of cosmic scale have no explanation. Uh, in fact, vol volcanoes and floods and, and winds, uh, insurance companies call them an act of God, almost saying, well, God not only let that happen, but God actually created it. And let's be clear, that's not the biblical view of God. The collective choice of humanity means we live in a broken world and suffering is all around us. And this is true. It is our lived reality. You know it, I know it. But the next question I wrestle with is, where are you, God, when it hurts? And what are you doing in the presence of pain? And Jesus gives us the best picture of God. And, and in his life, death, and resurrection, we get to see where God is and what he does when things hurt. And there are three things that we find God doing. God weeps, God suffers, and God restores. God weeps. We, we find Jesus at the tomb of his friend Lazarus and the scriptures in the shortest verse in the Bible states simply, Jesus wept. Jesus draws near. He stands in our pool of tears and he weeps. He is present. God is present. Jesus at Lazarus' tomb uh, asks for the stone to be rolled away, calls his friend out of that place um, and we catch a glimpse of God's power to restore and to redeem. But more about that later. Lazarus is called from the grave. He would die again. But we catch the power of God in that moment. One of the most moving places in Jerusalem for me is the Mount of Olives. Let me take you there. It's on top of the hill uh, uh, overlooking Jerusalem. There is a church shaped like a teardrop because it is here that Jesus catches a glimpse of the city and is moved by the heartache to come. Here's how Luke records it. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. He sees the destruction to come. He weeps. But then he has a powerful thing. He rides into the city of peace. He sees the destruction. He sees the heartache. He sees the pain. He knows it will come at him. And he rides into the suffering. We may not know why God has allowed the suffering in our world and in our lives. But we can know that it is not because he is unmoved and he is distant. God weeps. The second is God suffers. Jesus suffers the betrayal from one of his friends, Judas, someone he spent three years with. This guy uh, sells him for a few coins. We know that pain. He's denied by one of his greatest supporters, Peter. Peter says, I don't know this guy. We perhaps know that pain. In his hour of greatest need, when he's sweating blood and asking God to take the pain away, his friends fall asleep. <laughs> we, know, we know that pain. When we need our friends the most, they, they're not around. Not, not once, but three times they fall asleep. When he's arrested, they all run away. He's falsely accused and he is sentenced. We've been misunderstood. We've been falsely accused. He's flogged and suffers abuse and insult from the crowd and is painfully, painfully crucified. And at one point he asks the question, where are you, God? As he cries out, my God, why have you abandoned me? God, God suffers. We may not know why God allows the suffering we endure, but in the suffering of Jesus for us and with us, we know 
It can't be because God is dispassionate and distant. God loves, God weeps, and God suffers with us. Now some may be saying, you may be saying, how, how does that help me? In all my years of ministry, I've marveled at the way God restores. The weeping, suffering God restores. I listened to Kay and Rick Warren, uh, who run Saddleback Community Church, a massive church in the States. Um, and I heard them speak at an Alpha conference some years back. It was soon after their son, who had struggled with mental health, took his own life. And who can imagine the pain of a pastor and his wife uh, uh, just dealing with the heartache of a son uh, who has taken his own life? Deep, deep heartache. Kay Warren quoted Eric Little in that interview with Nicky Gumbel, the guy from the movie of Chariots of Fire who wouldn't compete on Sunday, a, 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 a talented athlete. And Eric Little says the circumstances uh, may appear, and these words are, are, were on Kay Warren's lips, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins. God's love is still working. It's the weeping, uh, suffering God who rides into our hearts, into our suffering. God's love is working. God's love is restoring. God's love is redeeming. It's the story of, of Easter. The darkness of the death of Good Friday is replaced by the light of Easter Sunday. There is resurrection. Love crucified arose. God's love is still working. Just after the climax of the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, Sam Gamgee discovers that his friend Gandalf was not dead, as he had thought, but alive. And he cries out, I thought you were dead. And then he thinks about it and says, but, but then I thought I was dead myself. And then after his reflection, he asks this question, is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer of Christianity is yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue and it will somehow be greater for once having been broken and lost. Jesus is recognized by his friends, by his scars. The wounds of Jesus speak to their wounds and they are filled with joy. Now, I've always wondered at that. The friends of Jesus don't recognize him as, as Jesus until uh, the risen Christ shows them his hands and his side, and then they're filled with joy. It's like the wounds of Jesus speak to their most broken place, and then they discover that Jesus has overcome these wounds, and, and they are filled with joy. John, Jesus' best friend and pastor to seven churches of the book of Revelations, writes this truth. And let me say, John was a pastor, and he was writing a pastoral letter to people suffering. And he says to them, he paints this picture, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God is dwelling, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He's present. And then what's God doing? 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God's love is still working. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, they say of some temporal suffering, temporary suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. It's the Old Testament promise that uh, where God says, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. In other words, my love, my power, my capacity to restore, my redeeming work will work backwards and make things new. And I've seen this time and again. Our suffering and what we know of God leaves us with a choice. We can trust or we can despair. And I encourage you to make a simple choice today. And I ask it not knowing your circumstance, but I ask it believing in a good, powerful and loving God who is weeping, suffering and restoring with us. Choose trust. Trust in the love the presence and the power of God to restore uh, and to redeem. Allow God to walk into your heart and your life and move you from a place of despair perhaps into a place of trust, knowing that He is busy with you. Jane, you may know her as Nightbird, auditioned for America's Got Talent some years ago. At the audition, she shared that she had cancer in her lungs, her spine, and her liver. She sang her song, a song she wrote, and it was titled, It's Okay. It was clearly not okay. But I was inspired by what she said uh, in the interview after she sang. She says, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. And I have a sense it's before you decide to trust in a future that is different because God is busy. Jesus said it like this, in this world you will have trouble. And I thank him for saying it because there is trouble. But he says, take heart. Some translations would say, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Choose trust in the one who recognizes the trouble, walks into it, and then says, I am redeeming, I have overcome. We're going to share in communion. Um, and I want to just remind you that Jesus, who was recognized by his wounds, had earlier taken bread at a meal with his friends. It was that week where he would endure great heartache and suffering. But he says, this is my body and it's broken for you. Take and eat and remember. In a sense, take and eat and remember that you can trust me. I, the wounded, crucified Messiah, am with you. With you. After he had shared in that meal, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, this is my blood. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, in a sense, for the healing of your life and your heart. Take and drink and remember.
the bread and the wine are tangible signs of God's presence, the reality of God's presence with us. And as we enter a time of worship and singing together, may the songs simply speak to your heart. May the songs allow you to move from, from wherever you are on the trust despair scale towards trusting in God. And my prayer is that right where you are, you would find and experience a tangible uh, a sign of God's presence with you. His love is working. Be of good cheer. Take heart, says Jesus. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your table trusting in your goodness. We eat and we drink now just where we are, uh, remembering that you are with us. And we ask, Lord, that your healing, your grace, your incredible power to work things for good out ahead, but also to work backwards to bring healing, will be our experience. So feed us, nourish us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.